Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by Joe and Carlos Flores. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. The Texans have won, finally. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it only took five weeks for it to happen, but it finally <laughs> happened. Mm. And I, I really think this is probably the, the biggest win in these last seven years, and it was just everything today was really beautiful from like being the Jaguars, which is a team that the Texans always seem to be. It's like Bill O'Brien's entire like successful ho- head coaching career in Houston was based around being the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like even you go back to 2016, whenever he benched name redacted and brought in uh, Tom Savage and was able to win that game and you know, everything else. He, like, the one consistent that's always been there is them being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and then have Romeo Cornell be the interim head coach and Tim Kelly, you know, being the offensive coordinator and actually getting the ball downfield and running more of a spread offense and having it work very well. And like, I'll always love Tim Kelly. Um, he's, I guess we can call him Timmy on the show, Timmy and Billy, <laughs> but, uh, but with Timmy having that tight split to with Brian cooks on the first play of the game and running that fade route against, I get, I think it was chase Claybrooks and having cooks finally win a vertical route. And like his route was kind of cool. He just like, you fire up a bunch of, he just kind of chopped his feet in place, broke out wide, you know, guy a foot race and was able to win uh, horizontally, create space vertically. And it was a great throw from Watson. And like, that was the first play again. It's like the bit, the best middle finger you could ever give to Bill O'Brien <laughs> was first play fade to Brandon cooks. Finally, they went a vertical route. And, um, and from there, like the game was fun, uh, all of it today. So was it, was today's win over the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Carlos, was this Wednesday? Was this like cathartic at all for you? Like, was it uh, was it beautiful? Were you happy? How, how, what were your feelings like today? So for me, at least coming out and just seeing Rack on the sideline and not Bob was enough for me to feel just overwhelmingly relieved. Um, the product on the field for the first uh, three quarters was pretty, pretty all over the place. I mean, we had some flash plays, some bang plays, but I mean, there were times where it just felt like an absolute slog and there's still a lot of kinks that this team needs to do, uh, needs to work out to, to improve. Um, but overall I did feel a little bit happier because we actually went vertical a few times and we took some shots downfield. Not all of them worked, but, uh, you know, I think Tim Kelly's finding a little bit of life with his puppet strings cut and, uh, you know, I think it was just a, a a good game, a good a good um like a like a palate cleanser after mm-hmm. all the Bill O'Brien we've had to endure for so long. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those screwed up liquors they sell you in Italy. Like in, they have those like twenty course meals, and it's like it just burns your entire tongue, and and <laughs> you can't taste anything. And now you can take the next bite of whatever you know pasta potato you're about to eat. Um, I yeah, and like so this game what. Well, Romeo Cornell, like you mentioned him on the sideline. I really like the shirt he was wearing today, and I really want to get that shirt, that like white polo he had. That shirt <laughs> yeah. was sick, and uh, he looks good too. Like he doesn't look like like 74 years old or whatever he is. He looks like he's lost a little bit of weight since last time we saw him. He's looking good though. I'm loving uh, Romeo Cornell, high coach, and this is he did what Wade Phillips can do in 2014 already. 
by winning a, a game as the interim head coach. So at least we know Houston won't lose 14 straight games this year, as we've kind of seen some parallels to the 2000, I guess the 2013 season, not the 14 season, my mistake. But we've already seen some parallels to the 13 season. And so it's nice, at least like that's one thing that's going to be similar to 13 as well. You're right. You're right. And it was it was really nice to see that it was it was an encouraging step in the era after Bill O'Brien to one uh, enter the comfort zone of beating the the Jaguars and two to throw the downfield throw downfield way more than we ever did in the past four weeks and that like we're finally taking advantage of the strikes we have at receiver instead of dedicating to the run and even though like like Carlos said it was still a wishy washy of a game there's still a lot of kinks to work out. And I shouldn't have got, come into this game with the expectation that all of the nastiness that is left of the Bill O'Brien era was just going to be wiped away. Mm-hmm. It's st- it was still a very encouraging step towards the not running up the middle, not conservative, and taking advantage of our matchups. Yeah, and and I don't even think like I think they could have done it a little bit more than what they did this game. Um, I, and like there's some some grabs to have with like Kelly's you know kind of game plan was. Um, but I mean, like even just a little bit of it just goes such a long way, especially considering how the first four weeks have been. And so this game, Watson was 25 at 35 for 359 yards. He averaged 10.3 yards in attempt and he threw three touchdowns to two interceptions. He was only sacked once this game, lost two yards. And again, like they were, they were more committed to, you kind of push the ball downfield this week than they have been previous weeks too. Um, Carlos, what do you what did you think was the biggest difference between weeks one through four and weeks five with the offense, or is this just the case of well they're not playing you know Baltimore, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota, or were there actual tangible differences in the play calling and the structure and the way the guys play today compared to the first month of the season? I think it's a combination of both. So we tend to do a lot better against division uh, division rivals simply because we see them all the time and we're so used to beating up on each other in this, you know, freaking mud pond of a division that we play in. And um, I think coming in, one, player morale didn't play too much of a part. I mean, yeah, it's nice that Bill O'Brien's no longer there, and they made a big hubbub about J.J. Watt's, you know, picture of the sunshine, and, like, it was going to be this huge thing. It actually wasn't. Um, what we saw mostly was a departure from a lot of the uh, the traditional norms that we saw. I mean, we still saw our fair share of, uh, you know, run up the middles and, you know, some strange play calling here and there. But, you know, the passing game was effective um, at times today. We saw some deep shots taken. Uh, and most importantly, I think the biggest thing to come out of this game was that fourth down call um, yes. with Brandon Cook's touchdown. I mean, just that's something that Bill O'Brien would have automatically defaulted to, you know, a field goal um, or, you know, deferring. And to, to see that kind of um, aggressiveness on offense is really encouraging and something that I think Rack is <laughs> more than willing to do. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest difference from the first four weeks is, you know, just an overall aggressiveness, not just on offense, but on defense as well. I mean, we saw we saw some pressure sent today. Anthony Weaver was not afraid to, um, you know, send uh, send five, even sometimes six guys. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they, they left us open and exposed a few times. And, you know, there are some lapses in coverage. But, um, you know, sending sending pressure is always a, a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it really is hilarious. To, like Bill Bryan was, you know, like a real hot headed, um, you know, tamper. You had had bad temper and everything. You know, we're supposed to be really aggressive and, you know, 
uh, like really like attacking teams and everything else. And he you know, kicked all those cowards field goals. And it's so funny that like, you know, big cuddly Romeo Cornell is out here. It's fourth and four. So yeah, we're going for it. And then you get this really sweet brand cooks touchdown. And you know, that was beautiful as well too. And I mean, like today was just such a fun game. Just as, uh, just as far as it just being a big middle finger to Bill O'Brien. And I, I you know, and also like hearing like Doug Marone talk to him that week and, and it's against like his best friend and everything else. It was, it was spectacular at every uh, second of it. So I Watson this week, he was on throws over 20 yards to the air. He was um, three of five for 95 yards to one interception. And that interception was that pass that Will Fuller kind of tipped and was able to catch that the safety made a really great play and was able to pick that off. Uh, it was Jared Wilson who did that. And then Bond throws from 10 through 20 yards through the air. He was seven of 10 for 145 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And that's really where they attacked Jacksonville this game. And like the biggest thing, you know, I think offensively for me was just they went to more spread and empty sets and, you know, I wrote about in the game preview entering this week, like, you know, Jacksonville doesn't have good cornerback play to begin with, and all their corners are hurt. You know, DJ Hayes and I are, CJ Henderson didn't play today. Um, they, you know, kind of have had some talent kind of perched out of there as well, too, out of their secondary because I guess the culture issues that they had there, they need to kind of like clean everything out of their locker room. And because of that, like, even though Houston hasn't been able to beat man coverage very well, you know, like Cobb has probably been the best at it. Like Brandon Cook said, I've been good. Will Fuller hadn't been good until last week. And just didn't, they weren't being there. They weren't win- winning their matchups enough at all. And this week against a bad secondary, you know, I think that was kind of the difference is that Jackson played a lot of man. They played a lot of cover one. They rushed four a lot. They would have one of their linebackers kind of sit in the hole and spy Watson and, you know, try to pick up help with crossing routes and stuff. Um, but they just got behind that first level of the defense, ran a lot of crossing patterns and had a lot of success with it, and then took some vertical shots as well to pair with that nicely. And the cool thing, I think, about the vertical shots to this game was it wasn't that same Yankee double-crossing route concept that they run every single time where it's like, yeah, I know what you're about to do. I see it. You got eight guys blocking. You got a balanced receiver formation. Yeah, we know what you're going to do here. And uh, it was cool just seeing like them actually take some vertical shots out of five wide receiver sets and four wide receiver sets instead of doing it the same way they've always done it for the past year and a half as well, too. And it was always just so bizarre how O'Brien would find one thing that worked and just stick to it until, you know, it didn't work at all whatsoever. Like, I'm sure he, he'd choose a piece of gum for, you know, three weeks straight. And uh, and that was the other thing I really enjoyed about this offense was how they paired their vertical shots, too. Uh, so, Joe, what did you see today on offense that was different from, you know, the first four weeks of the season? What, what you were just talking about, it's, uh, it's the downfield passing that they're finally taking advantage of and these empty sets and putting all of their best wide receivers on the field to to ruin the, the Jacksonville defense that is already severely undermanned and just taking advantage of the speed that they had in Brandon Cooks, who had one heck of a day today. Um, and it's like, I mean, I wrote this big article back in like August or like early September about how I was hoping to see that trading for Brandon Cooks and adding Randall Cobb would mean that we were going to have this launching the ball downfield, passing heavy offense. And we had the absolute opposite of that for the first four weeks. And now it's finally starting to rear its head. Mm-hmm. So it took until we fired our head coach for the past several years, but it's here and it looks good and it won us a game and Watson didn't crumble under having to launch the ball several times. And the pass protection was incredible for the most part today, which I don't know if it's, if that's a testament to their abilities, if it's more a testament to how bad um, everything else is, but like it was just, it was just way more encouraging to see downfield passing and the mm-hmm. offense that I was dreaming about for so long. 
Yeah, and and also just like it was fun to see Watson just even be like even just like see him smile was nice. You know, it's like oh, <laughs> yeah. I miss that. I miss it when he smiles. That was not. It's nice, and it was cool too because he even had you know two of those sort of Deshaun Watson type of plays where you know thing was open, he was able to scramble out, pick up a first down, make a throw on the run. Um, and he had like three actual Deshaun Watson plays this week, and you know the previous month of the season, and he would break out of stuff and roll roll right, and he didn't have DeAndre Hopkins come back to the ball for him at all anymore. And uh, the, you know he was really missing that. Like he actually made some plays in the run too, and that mm-hmm. was fun as well. Uh, but yeah, this was Brand. You mentioned Brand Cooks. Like this was his first actual game where he had any sort of impact at all. He had eight catches on 12 targets for 161 yards, one touchdown, and a long catch of 36 yards. Um, Will Fuller caught four of his eight targets for 58 yards too. And it was a lot of again, like we mentioned, there's a lot of spread formations against man coverage where you know Watson before the snap could be like, yeah, I got this route and I have Chase Claybrooks on you know, brand cooks, like that's, that's what I'm looking for here. And then immediately if it wasn't open after a second or two, he had plenty of other options available. And so he was just kind of like pick your matchups and win from there. And the receivers actually beat man coverage a lot this game. Um, Carlos, like, are you expecting more of this from brand cooks throughout this year? Or is this just kind of a case of playing? It's a bad secondary. So I'm still not fully convinced. I'm going to need to see this at least one or two more times to be convinced that it, it's something regular. I think the secondary was banged up. It's not as good, you know, as some of the other teams that we played early on this season. I mean, <clears throat> we've seen Brandon Cooks have trouble separating uh, often, mm-hmm. and so I think today at least we saw some some good uh, some good plays that opened up the field for him, um, especially on that fourth down call where you know it kind of leaned into his abilities. But for the most part, I don't know that this is something we can regularly bank on because it just seems like at least against up against better talent. Um, he just can't get that kind of separation and um, it really harms the offense because it takes away one of those options from Deshaun. And so then he's having to force into tight windows and terrible things can happen um, as we've seen. So I don't know that we can really bank on this too much. Um, it's a nice game and a lot of people are kicking themselves for not starting them today, but I wouldn't, if I, if I had him in fantasy, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him in a in a regular rotation. That's for sure. Yeah, you can't. It's kind of like him and Fuller kind of pass the torch around um, so far this year. And like, I really think the hardest thing for Cooks though right now is like with the concussion history. He took a bad shot to the head today and was able to get he up. He sure and, did. And look okay from yeah. That was that was rough to see. There was a couple of bad head shots today um, in the National Football League. But with um, with that, like he doesn't run a lot of those screen routes and those jet sweeps and a lot of those quick inward breaking slants and and in routes and those sorts of things. And I think it's just because of the concussion issue. And he's like, you know, five foot 10, you know, like, uh, um, you know, he's just, he's just a small guy. And so you don't want him taking those sort of shots. And so I think with him, like with, with, as he's getting older and kind of losing his speed, like he wins a lot of his stuff in isolation. And if he doesn't have the speed to beat man coverage at all, and he struggles in his press coverage speaking with, um, he'll have problems there, but because of the injury issues, you don't, you just don't see him like consistently run those routes that pick up the seven yards on your know, second and two, and uh, and those sorts of things that create consistent first downs also. So I think throughout the year, you're just going to kind of see boom and bust from uh, Brandon Cooks. And this brings us to our first listener question. And this is from at Phil Johnson Y. And he said, the wide receiver corpse looked nice today, but the lack of a true go-to was still kind of glaring. Against better defenses, do you think the lack of a sure thing chain mover is going to continue to hurt this team, even if the pass attack is as spread out and as fun as it looked today? Uh, so Joe, do you think that this lack of you know, of a first down chain mover is going to continually, you know, give them problems as the year progresses. 
I think it will, but I think there was a solution for it that also showed itself today was uh, Randall Cobb was getting open in midfield a lot more. Watson was was targeting Randall Cobb when he was getting pressure. If Randall Cobb was keeping drives alive, even if he wasn't getting first downs and making at like amazing plays like Hopkins did, Randall Cobb was getting yards and keeping drives alive like Hopkins did. And my hope is is that Randall Cobb and Deshaun Watson will continue to establish their rapport that they've been getting that's been getting better over the course of the past few weeks, and that they also start using Duke and David Johnson out in receiving routes. Because Duke and David Johnson both have the speed and the athletic ability to get a dump-off pass and at least get a few yards. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't have that true number one, you know, 50-50 ball magnet receiver that Hopkins is, we have at least three small speedsters that can eat up yardage when they get the ball. And I'm hoping that there's some scheme changes because we're still not seeing nearly as much of that as I was expecting. But we have we have a lot of options there. So I'm hoping we see more scheme changes as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know, uh, so Cobb had six catches on six targets for 47 yards. And I Pro Football references box scores and out, but they keep track of first downs, first down receptions like that. And so I would guess, you know, at least five of those receptions or four of those receptions were first downs. And like, it was a lot of crossing routes over the middle of the middle of field. And he was pretty open on them. And again, like DJ Hayden was bad. This has been bad this year after being one of the better slot corners in football. And now his backup is out there. And, you know, whenever you start having bad, like whenever you lose bad players, and then the backups come in for the bad players, you know, you're in a rough <laughs> spot for a football team. And that's where Jax was kind of at this year. I still think it's going to be an issue though. And like the offense is going to get stuck. It's going to get sticky. They're gonna look. They're gonna still have games where they're gonna look, you know, completely ineffective and lost at times, um, because of that. And like it is, it is a really big miss. And I do think, you know, even I thought this offense was a lot worse off talent-wise without DeAndre Hopkins. Even I was like uh, off about how much they would miss him. And it's everything from getting other op- getting other receivers open on that deep Yankee concept, or getting consistent first downs, or working with Watson to get open. And coming back to the ball after he scrambles out, and just in so many different ways, they really have they really have missed him. And you know, I, I still think it's gonna be a problem throughout the year. And you're gonna see a lot of boomer boomer bust sort of thing. And you know, the Texans don't have that that Batman wide receiver after Trent Hopkins. You know, Will Fuller ran start calling him Nightwing on the on the podcast. Like he's a really great Robin, but he's not a true number one. Cooks isn't a true number one at all. Um, and then everything else is kind of tertiary from there. But there's ways that they're gonna like there's still they can still have a good p- passing attack, but they're still gonna have games and teams where they're going to get stuck and um and it's not going to happen to jackson jaguars but it could happen against tennessee it could happen against green bay and against better passing defenses too uh, so the next question we had here was from at smooth grandma and he asked it looks like we could use a big fast receiver how long do we have to wait before the great kahali warring is unleashed onto the field uh, so carlos do you have any hope that we're going to see kahali this year and like i don't even know what kahali's hurt with like they put him on ir but they didn't say what he was hurt with or why. And so I assume he's okay. They just didn't want to play him at all. Uh, do you think we're going to see Kahali at all this year, though? Um, you know, I think I think right now we won't, um, at least until we're officially eliminated from playoff contention, if that happens. Um, and I think when that does happen, uh, we'll, we'll see some players getting some time in the sun and trying to see what everybody's got. You know, we'll probably see even Kuti come in and, you know, do what he can do um because it's basically all just uh house money at that point and 
uh, I think with Kahale, with him being on IR, one, it sucks because, I mean, we obviously have no idea what's going on, and there was that little bit of shade thrown around in the quote-unquote preseason where I guess maybe he can't pay attention in meetings or something. And now that Bob's gone, I think he has a much, much better chance to actually see some playing time. But realistically, I think uh, I think the team's set to go with Akins and Fells. And unless one of them gets hurt, maybe we'll see him come in at that point. But until then, I think he's still stuck where mm-hmm. he's at. Yeah, and they, they had Pharaoh Brown out there too, and he caught a pass and almost mm-hmm. broke a first down whenever Joe Schobert tackled him. And I think I could break out of a Joe Schubert tackle right now. And uh, they even had Farrell Brown in the eye formation, too. I don't know. Like, I, it's fine. I was trying, while you were talking, I was trying to double check on Kahali's injury because see if anything came out. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I found an article that I wrote about it, about him being too <laughs> hot. It was the, the injury he had. And, you know, just he needs to play, though. He's, it's already been three weeks. They don't have another tie day with Akins out. Get him out there and just, like, let him stretch the seam, like, five times a game. Like, he could at least do that. And, uh, and like, you're not gonna, like, they, nobody even blocks well to the time position e- anyways, you know, they're not going to miss out a whole lot if he misses, a, if he misses like a mistake or, or if he misses a blocking assignment out there, cause their tight ends already do that enough as it is. So, right. I mean, I'm really hoping that we'll see him at least a little bit and, uh, it makes this team even more exciting, more enjoyable to watch again. Um, so that with David Johnson today, he has 17 carries for 96 yards and this was aided by a meaningless 29 yard run at the end of the game. Um, Joe, have you given up any hope on him being a good offensive player this year after he he looked pretty good against Kansas City in week one? No, I, I, I'm i barely hanging on a thread, but I still think he can become a at least meaningful player for the Houston Texans offense. I don't know if he'll be good, but I think he'll be, I don't know, decent, you know, slightly above average. And I'm hoping that that'll, that'll come as the offensive line I'm hoping that the improvements they made this uh, game will continue steadily, and I'm hoping they'll use David Johnson on outside runs a lot more and use him um, in receiving routes a lot more or in dump-off passes because I I still think he's a viable weapon. Uh, I just don't think they're using him to his full advantage. So I'm hoping that the offensive advancements we finally saw in this week are a sign of things to come, and I'm hoping that means that David Johnson will see more opportunities to show that he still has something. He's not, you know, the amazing MVP caliber talent anymore, but I, I still think he's at least, you know, average. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I personally, I'm kind of past it now with him, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's, that screen pass he had where it was like third and 12 and Dakota Allen tripped him up like that. You're like, just, I mean, come on, man. Like you, yeah, you, those are, those are plays that you have to make. And, you know, yeah. throughout this year, he's, he hasn't had that many opportunities, like one versus one tackle breaking chances. Um, and he had that one really great run against Kansas city. And that's been pretty much it. But like, whenever he's had those opportunities, he just hasn't, he hasn't done it. You know, he hasn't broken tackles. We had those one versus one spots that game against Minnesota, like going back and watching the film, that first run on the goal line, like, 95% of the running backs in football score touched on that first run, but he comes too wide off the off the tight end, uh, can't go through, you know, two tackles, but if he comes straight ahead and comes off his cutback well. It's an easy score, and uh, after that screen today, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of out on it. And his numbers, he had seven carries for 62 yards off the right edge. You know, of course, one of those was for 29 yards. Uh, on runs between the tackles, he had seven carries for 19 yards. And, like, yeah, he just isn't... Happening. 
Yeah, he just isn't good in, the, in that spot. And like again, the run blocking hasn't been great. It looked a little bit better today, uh, but he just isn't he isn't making enough of those chances whenever he has them. And the other thing about him too, like he's a good receiver. He's good at getting out wide. He's like a you know a 15 touch a game sort of player. He's not um, a running back who can carry an offense on its own. And that's what Bill O'Brien expected from him this year, which was so insane and absurd and um, incomprehensibly dumb. Like it was, it was they really just turned to Lamar Miller all over again or working at it. And even he wasn't even able to provide that like bare minimum adequacy that Lamar Miller was able to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't. One of the reasons I haven't given up hope on him yet is that Todd Gurley broke off for a crazy game today, and I thought Todd Gurley's like career was over. And he showed that he still has at least a little bit of juice left. So I'm hoping that at some point David Johnson will find like the the, the chalice that Gurley found today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't I didn't watch Gurley yet, but the Panthers' run defense has been bad for like two yeah. years now, and like Oakland torched them, and like they can they can't stop the run very well. So I'll keep an eye out for that today too. And I do think the one thing you know Kelly could have done better today was run the ball off tackle. Cincinnati has a terrible rushing attack. They had, you know, 205 yards, I think, on 32 carries last week against Jacksonville. And this is all just by putting a tie, putting a wide receiver in motion, blocking down on the alley defender who was, you know, a bad cornerback, and then having Joe Mixon cut out wide. And they, I mean, they torched Jackson that second half with the running game just like that. And like Houston doesn't have the wide receivers that can block it all. Like Brand Cooks has blocked twice this year, and it's hilarious every time. Um, it's like an ant trying to move a boulder, you know. And so like, they don't have the wide receiver string to be able to run those plays as well. But um, they had some chances here and there. Like they had the opportunity to do some things off tackle that they didn't do this game either. Um, so Carlos, I we had a question from at Mike Meltzer, the one and only you know, former 610 radio man who has a great podcast. And I can't recommend it highly enough, but his podcast last week on the Bill Bryan firing was really great. And it's just him talking by himself, you know, for an hour and five minutes. And it was, it was really spectacular. I can't recommend you listening to that highly enough, but he asked, am I insane for thinking that David Johnson could be okay if used in more of a 50, 50 role that featured him running outside more, not running off shotgun. So I actually saw that question on Twitter before the show. And I thought it was a fantastic question. Um, and Rivers' uh, reply to it was pretty funny, but uh, you know, I think I think it would be interesting. Like, I think if you drag and drop David Johnson in the Gary Kubiak's uh, zone running scheme, it would be a lot more effective than what we're seeing now. Um, I think running out of shotgun doesn't really help DJ either. So every chance that he's he's gotten, he doesn't really bounce it out. He just charges straight ahead inside and it doesn't really end up working out most of the time except for those few garbage runs um in uh or in garbage time and um if you take it out and you factor in um most of his rushes during you know when the game was competitive he really only averaged about 3.8 yards per carry if you eliminate those uh those last few big runs um and i think him running outside would lean more to his sensibilities but we also have duke johnson um, you know, somebody who's supposed to be uh, great in the well, they're actually both supposed to be great pass catchers. And mm-hmm. looking at you know David Johnson's uh, receiving stats for a day, it's you know two catches, seven yards, and it's like this isn't what we signed up for really. What we're supposed to be doing is incorporating these running backs heavier into the passing game. And every time we seem to try, it's usually some you know half half cheeked uh, screen that gets blown up and 
you know, ends up doing more harm than good. And I think maybe, I think it was against the Vikings or maybe even the Steelers where I think I might've seen like a Texas route or something that was run pretty well and was effective. But for the most part, we're not sending our running backs out into the field. We're sending them out into the flat. And uh, that's just not really, it's not, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's not interesting. And, you know, I think um, running him outside would definitely be a lot more effective because shotgun, he's just going up the middle and, you know, turning into Carlos Hyde, and it's a it's a dang shame. Yeah, and they really have, I mean, like, they just kind of run guys on the flats to draw a defender over there, and they don't they do not do very much. With the binary route you're talking about, he ran that kind of that vertical route out of a shotgun formation, and, you know, Watson overthrew him, and it was kind of similar to that sluggo he ran as a wide receiver in that Baltimore game where Watson missed him too. That route seemed more like Johnson had widened out enough this route is, I really won't know until I get a chance to watch the behind view of it. If, uh, if Johnson didn't wind out the route, like he was supposed to, to separate from the defender or if Watson missed him, but he had a, he had a chance there. Um, but I, I mean like, he, I don't know, like even he, they've run plenty of outside zone run plays that Kubiak likes to run and he hasn't been good on those runs at all either. But yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing though, is just not trying to give him 17 carries, you know, this game, give him 10, give Duke Johnson 10. Duke Johnson is a better running back than David Johnson is. And uh, he's a better runner. He's a better pass catcher. And so I really think they should have more of a 50-50 split. And that way, too, like David Johnson has, you know, fresher lungs. And he isn't tired, you know, whenever he does get his chances to to make these tackle-breaking opportunities that he's failed on so far. But um, I do think, like, the role, it would be better for him, be more of a half role, um, and getting him using him more as a wide receiver, running actual creative routes instead of just stuff on the flat. But like that being said, like he just hasn't done enough with the chances he's had. And there's only so long you can you can play. There's only so many times you can block. You can point to the blocking whenever you know it's it's not chance number nine or chance number eleven in the season, and he's getting tackled by you know back like a backup safety um, out on the edge and that sort of thing. So the next question we had here was from at Smooth Grandma, and he asked, "It looks like we simplified O-line protection schemes and athletes took over. Was this a drastic improvement or minor?" Um, so, Joe, what did you think about Houston's pass protection today? And do you think they, they did anything in particular uh, to be able to pick up the blitz as well and, and not give up so many dumb sort of sacks this week? Um, I couldn't tell you. I haven't watched enough of the film to tell you if they did anything particular, but I can tell you that what they did worked a lot more, and it might be more because of uh, Jacksonville's defensive line is really bad and that they were in that like they can't compete with the one-on-one matchups that the Houston offensive line has to offer. So I think a lot of it was that. Um, but overall, I was really impressed with how well the offensive line did. Only giving up one sack is is really impressive. And it gave Deshaun Watson plenty of time to make his magic plays and fire the ball downfield, which was incredibly successful. So I can't tell you what they exactly did besides just win their mm-hmm. one-on-one matchups. And they seem to have a lot more chemistry this time around than they had beforehand. Um, yeah, but it worked. Yeah, it, it, worked. It, it really is amazing just like how drastic of a premise it's been that they keep their heads up whenever they pass stunts on the line of scrimmage now and like they're ready and prepared for a looper to come back to them. Now, this is stuff like you learn when you're 14 years old playing football and they lost it somehow along the, the 10 years after that point. Um, they found it again. And yeah, I think, I think you kind of hit, hit the nail around the head. Like the Jaguars just don't have a good defensive line. Their pass rush has been the worst in the league this year. It's all Josh Allen. That's it. You know, and 
even and Allen's like their best interior pass rusher by being used on loops and those sort of things. And he wasn't out he wasn't out there today. And it was a lot of Kalevon Chase on going up against Laramie Tunsil and getting close, you know, here and there, but nothing really um yeah, nothing really can't. like substantial. Yeah. Yeah. You can't compete. You can't be a rookie and compete with Laramie Tunsil. Also, mm-hmm. before I forget, just a few minutes ago, Falcons officially fired Dan Quinn and their general manager Thomas Dimitrov. So uh, those are two those are two there's a coach and a general manager that will definitely be in the running for the Houston coach and general manager job next year. Hopefully not Dan Quinn. No, I don't think they I don't think they would they would talk to Quinn at all. Dimitrioff I could see possibly. Um, he's the next he's next New England guy and like he's all about like size and athleticism. He's a and, pretty uh, good. He's been he, a pretty good draft. He's okay. Yeah. yeah. He's made some hair. Like he's just made some really strange decisions, like giving yeah. James Carpenter a big contract. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, there's just and like all a lot of his defensive picks didn't pan out in the secondary, no. especially, and that's kind of what has really hurt this team lately. But I think Dimitrioff is is a good, has been good enough, you know, to warrant at least talking to. But yeah, I don't want to hear Dan Quinn at all for like the rest of my life. Oh <laughs> uh, well, we'll see what. King Easterby thinks of him. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and like the other thing they did too today was Dewan Smoot had a pretty good game, rushing on the interior and like you know Kelamente gave up one stunt that was their pressure. Um, Fulton's been bad in pass protection this year, and I think it was a lot of Smoot versus Fulton was the creation of of a pass versus game, and I'll know more yeah. whenever the videos out there later this week too. So yeah, it's it's mostly just crappy Jacksonville and. Finally, the the Houston offensive line is playing like it's been advertised. A little bit. The run the run game is still bad, um, but just like again, like just cleaning up like those little mental mistakes and not allowing free rushers and being prepared for for stunts has been you know, enormous. Because like they have the skill to win their one versus one blocks and pass protection, they just haven't given themselves the opportunity to do so by being so bad picking up the blitz. And at least like that's been cleaned cleaned up, you know, since that Baltimore game and since the Pittsburgh game when it was you know absolutely. Uh, killing this 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 offense, and they were good against Minnesota as well too, the week before. Um, so defensively, Houston only gave up 14 points this game. That being said, Jacksonville missed a 24-yard field goal and a 49-yard field goal, and they had that drunk idiot fourth and short halfback pass too, um, that took some points off the board as well. So Carlos, do you think the Texans' defense had a good game today? You know, I think. Look, a lot of people are going to point to the run to the run defense today and say look they kept the jaguars to under 100 yards rushing i don't really think that's all that special um yeah we got busted a couple times in some chunk pass plays and um it, it was ugly but i think this is more on the futility of the jaguars offense than it is the quality of our defense we knew that they weren't going to be necessarily that great um they had some injuries as well throughout the game that definitely affected them. And, um, you know, I think, my God, uh, just it's it's kind of a fluke, it feels like, I think. Um, we are going to run into somebody like the Titans, and they're going to have a decent run game. And uh, I think it's going to expose the defense once again. But today they just really couldn't get it going. And they made some really questionable play calls. But I think... Um, I think for the most part, this is just based on the futility of the Jaguars than than the quality of the Texans' defense for the most part. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't. I mean, I, I think that they they did some things better 
this game, but like really, I think it's one of those games that's kind of misleading. It kind of reminds me of that game like last year where the Colts, I think, scored like, you know, three or six points against Jacksonville, but they had like four red zone. Fourth, they like went 0 and 4 on fourth down that game in the red zone. And, uh, and like the actual point total was misleading here for it. I think the biggest, the, the biggest thing for the defense today, though, was that the offense got a lead, you know, and they were able to play ahead. And Jackson was behind, and Gardner Minshew threw 49 passes this game. That's a lot of passes for, for Gardner, and wow. uh, he got 301 yards out of them. But like you know, being behind, he was stuck. You know, kind of being one-dimensional, playing out four wide receiver sets, having to you know kind of craft the like w- like run an offense that's a little bit past you know his capabilities. It's kind of like AP history for him, and you know he's in he's in regular history class still as a second-year you know six-round pick. But uh, and I like Minshew. But I think just falling behind was the biggest thing to help this defense, and their run, their bad run defense was able to kind of hide out this game. Um, what do you think, Joe? Um, I think I think you're right, and maybe that tells us more about maybe uh, the pass defense on Houston is better than we thought it was, uh, because I still like I came into this game expecting it to be bad because Jay Cruden kind of made a, a name for himself by being a pretty good play caller for the past few years. I mean, he I know Washington was a pretty bad team for the most part while he was coaching them, but he was one of the better play callers in the NFL for several of those years. And in like eight of the 10 years that he was the offensive play caller, he had a top 10 or a top five quarterback. And it looks like he's probably going to have the same thing with Minshew. So he does a really good job at, you know, bloating the quarterback stats and putting a pretty effective offense on the field, regardless of what he has. So I was terrified that he was just going to slice up our, our defense today, but the passing defense did its job against Minshew. He had a very Joe Burrow-like stat line where he threw like a million passes and and just barely broke over the 300-yard mark. Um, and like I guess that's yeah, that's a testament to our passing defense being better than I thought it would be, and not having to worry about relying on our run run defense, which is probably still terrible. But we're seeing incremental improvement. We're seeing a simplification of some of the plays. We're seeing better tackling. Zach Cunningham is looking better. Um, Whitney Merciless is contributing. Uh, what what is his name? Jacob Martin is contributing again. So like we're still we're still doing a good job at manufacturing pressure and all that. Uh, but like you said, getting the lead was probably the most important thing for this defense because it allowed it to rely on its strength, which I guess at this point is coverage and passing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I guess like if. I really don't know what they're. I don't think they have a strength at all on this defense. No, I mean like, um, it's like it's like something like the worst thing in the league to like the second worst thing in the league. Oh well, it's oh it's their it's their deep pass defense is really good, but their short pass defense is bad. And it was bad in this game. Like you know, Jackson had a lot of success with those crossing routes they like to run. Like you know, Lavishka had a really great game. Um, just you know, running drags all across the field. Chris Conley had a couple of good catches like that too. Minshew was only one one of five for fifty one yards down the field, or throws over twenty yards. And mm-hmm. like Houston's had a good deep pass defense so far this year. And I think kind of like falling behind. Yeah, I think kind of falling behind as well too. He was stuck kind of throwing some deeper stuff that you know it's kind of more manufactured for him. But like Jacksonville's had a really good offense so far this year. Minshew has been the problem for them, um, and they've done a really good job like creating open throws and running good, efficient, balanced offense. But again, like whenever you fall down and you're fall down behind and it's late. And you're not getting, and you're having, you know, three separate drives where you should get points, or you get zero points, and uh, that's really what I think what killed Jacksonville's offense today. I don't really yeah. think you know, Houston's defense had the best game though, or really had like that great of a game in that way too. 
Yeah, it, it, I guess the best thing I can say is, and why I'm touting them a little bit more, is that they did not look like the worst defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They did not look good, but they did not look like the worst defense. So yeah, that's a that's sign important. of improvement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how far how far we've come uh, Yeah, from how good this run defense was in 18 to this in two years. And like, I thought the run defense was going to be, you know, below average this year without DJ Reader. I didn't think it was going to be one of the worst in the league. And James Robinson had 13 carries for 48 yards. He was really good between the tackles this game. Uh, but again, like falling behind, they didn't have a chance to to give him enough ball, give him enough shots, and uh, and run more of a balanced offense this week too. So Carlos, there's been a couple of backup running backs who've just emerged out of nowhere, starting running backs. Who's been your favorite one this year? And some examples are your Miles Gaskin in Miami, uh, James Robinson in Jacksonville, Mike Davis in Carolina. Do you have a favorite backup running back turn starter this year? So one of my favorites that I actually got to see a little later on today um, was uh, Slayton with the uh, with the Giants since Saquon's out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Giants are a absolutely putrid uh, team so far this season, and they put up a pretty pretty decent fight against a uh, Dak Prescottless uh, Cowboys squad. Um, which I am hoping for a speedy recovery for Dak after that horrific injury. Um, I know for all the flack we give, or at least I give Cowboys fans, um, you know, it, it sucks to see somebody go down like that. But they, uh, the Giants managed to keep the game competitive, and Slayton runs hard, and, you know, he was doing some good things. But I think, uh, I think Robinson's also really, really great. Um, he's come in, done a bang-up job, and it's tough with the shoes that, you know, he's having to fill. Well, actually, not really. Fournette wasn't all that great. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Robinson, he, he's done a, an admirable job. And um, he, he moved the pile a few times against us today. And that's not really saying too much because our run defense is kind of poo. But, uh, you know, I think those two guys are kind of ones that I think of in terms of uh, running backs turned starters this year. Yeah, I, I, I think Robinson's legitimate. And he's been a really good zone runner. Um, really runs his really mo- like never stops moving and like I I love his vision too like he uses his brain to miss well Slate and Slayton plays wide receiver for New York so I think maybe you're talking about Goldman or uh, I know Dante Freeman had a lot of carries today oh, way more carries yeah. than sorry anybody want to have absolutely too. yeah Freeman sorry <laughs> yeah he yeah because he was a guy from Atlanta um and they're they're kind of fun I don't know if you listen to the preview podcast we do later in the week. But my friend Taylor's a big Cowboys fan, and he had a real monkey's paw day to day because he wanted to see some Andy Dalton. He was tired of Dak Prescott, felt he was overrated, felt he had mostly garbage time numbers, and he wow. got his Andy Dalton, but in a in a real monkey's paw way at yeah. the <laughs> result of you know Dak breaking his ankle and having oh, that traumatic man. injury. And I hate the franchise tag too so much. Like it sucks that Dak wasn't didn't have a chance to hit the open market this past year. And it's like after four years, like you should know if you want this guy or not, you know. Yeah. And Dallas yeah. is able to come to a contract agreement now. You know, Dak will get a contract next year, but it may not be with Dallas. And someone will take a shot on him, but it still just sucks that you know you get stuck on this tag and their careers are so like fragile as it is playing such a violent game, and for them to lose it because of some you know, dumb flexible thing for teams where um, you know you should know if you want this guy or not. It's part of the part of the risk of of signing players, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of it was probably because they just they, maybe they didn't have the cap space for it because they gave Elliott and Mark Hooper so much money, and they're probably trying to keep cap space open for Michael Gallup. So like they're just trying to figure out the cap nightmare that they're entering 
But, I mean, Dak should have been signed way long ago because the longer they waited to sign him, the more expensive he became. So, like, um, if anyone should have gone unsigned, it should have been Elliott because if anything is proven is that there's plenty of quality at running back. And Tony Pollard is, looks like a pretty good backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. Like, Elliott now, I think, is not properly paid, but like getting closer to it because how bad their offensive line is with all the injuries. Yeah. It's like now yeah. he's actually having to carry a rushing attack on his own. But whenever you have like a, a top five offensive line, there's no reason to do that. And it's kind of worked out for them in a weird way. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, Joe, do you like like I so do you like Gardner Minshew? Because this is his second year. He's a former six round pick. The Jaguars are going to play the Texans until you know the world stops spinning or uh, or football finally you know closes its doors, which I don't think is ever going to happen while we're alive. And so we're going to see maybe we're going to keep seeing the Jaguars play football as Texans fans. Like, do you think Minshew at six hundred thousand dollars a year? is the type of player an offense can be built around, like a team can be built around, be competitive? Or is he just kind of like a, a backup quarterback, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick figure, but with a, a mustache instead of a beard? I think, like, I mean, he's a lot like he's a, he's a lot like Drew Brees. Um, he's not, you know, like the legendary player that Drew Brees is, but he's not going to throw the ball far downfield, but he'll get the ball almost exactly where you need it to be. He's not going to throw many interceptions. And as long as you surround him with talent and a solid offensive line, He's going to perform, and it's usually not going to be based off of him making an amazing throw and amazing decision. It's usually going to be based on him getting the ball in the right spot at the right time and then a good receiver making a play. But they do have some quality receivers in Jacksonville, and their offensive line is decent. Um, so it's not my I – don't, I don't like having a quarterback that's limited by throwing power and having to build it, build it around throwing it you know, less than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage and – and accuracy being your like number one trait um it reminds me it reminds me a whole lot he's like he's like right in between like the drew Brees and like Derek carr of quarterbacks mm-hmm. um and so i like him i think he's way better than the sixth round pick uh describes him and he's like he's like right at the line of starting caliber so as long as they keep a solid offensive line around him like peyton has done with uh breeze they bring in plenty of weapons that Breeze has like uh, Chenault is a perfect example of like a do everything weapon at receiver that as long as you just get the ball to him, he's going to make a play. If they can get a few more players like that, then Mm -hmm. he'll look a lot better and then get a great like 50, 50 catcher, like Michael, Michael Thomas or Deandre Hopkins in a building uh, with Minshew and and he'll look way. They have that. They kind of have that DJ Chark already too. Yeah. Like Chark only, Chark didn't have a big game today. Like Bradley Roby was on him and he would have caught a touchdown if Roby didn't grab him on that uh, double move he hit him with. But they kind of have that with Chark. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think he's as good. He's, I don't think he'll ever be as good as Breeze. I, I don't know if he'll ever be as good as Derek Carr, but I think it's too early to tell. And I think as long as you, if they dedicate to building a system around him, and he doesn't regress. I do think they have a solid starter there. Just mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't fire a whole bunch of coaches. Either dedicate the Drake Jay Gruden or find a coach that's like Peyton. And also like invest in a backup quarterback like a Taysom Hill that you can throw in there for a handful of plays that can throw the ball deep or keep the defense off guard. So yeah. that helps. Well, too. They, and they tried that today, it didn't work very well, which is no, which is no. still kind of funny. Yeah. I'm still yeah. laughing about that stupid play and he fumbles it and everything else I, and, yeah I, I the way i feel about Minshew too like they're not one in four because of Minshew. the problems with this team aren't because of Minshew. and like if Minshew was a second round pick jacksonville would be so excited about you know his performance and play but because he's a sixth round pick 
and he doesn't have like the pedigree and he's kind of like a, a dog that you get at animal shelter instead of some like you know two thousand dollar purebred uh, like yeah, Labrador I mean, retriever they're a lot they're they don't that's why i think they're kind of like in a weird spot with him but for six hundred thousand dollars a year in a rookie contract like if i was running nice. the jaguars yeah i would be kind of like all over all in on like next year trying to build like invest in free agency because they have a bunch of cap space next year trying to fill yeah. out the holes on the defense and uh maybe actually try to make a ride with Minshew because 600k in that rookie contract you know that's the golden ticket and i think Minshew is you know good enough um and i don't think we're ever gonna see like he's gonna be in the league i think even as a backup and we'll see him you know for the next 12 years or so whatever um even if jackson decides to move on draft a quarterback early on in the draft next year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah he'll be around forever i mean he, he'd probably have a if he had gone to a bigger market with a better team, then he'd probably be having a lot of attraction that Dak does because mm-hmm. Dak was a fourth round pick that no one knew what to do with. But then he, you know, his first year he starts out of Tony Romo getting hurt. He steals the job, goes 13 and three and looks great. If Prescott would have gone to a team that had plenty of weapons and an offensive line around him immediately, he probably would have had a similar record. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that. And I, I like Jagerin too. Like I think he's done a really good job with this offense so far. And again, like they've been in bad spots. You know, their defense gave up 21 straight points against Miami today. They had those those cowardly fourth down decisions. Uh, yeah. It was so great too after that Watson pick that they missed the their cowardice was rewarded and the universe took it back <laughs> from them as well. That made me so happy today too. And uh, and then like week one, you know, they had a really great offense. Like he threw one incompletion that week. Week two, they lost because of a, a game-winning field goal and scored 27 against Tennessee, and they've had a, a pretty good pass defense this year. And so, like, I don't, I don't, I think Minshew's been been more than good enough. And I enjoy watching him play. I don't hate him. Like, I don't feel any sort of resentment at all watching him. He's fun to watch. Um, He's pretty from, as like a as like a pocket like navigator too. He he extends the play. Yeah, I, I agree. And. Our question from Smooth Grandma was, is Brent Scarlett still chasing Gardner Minshew's shadow? Because he ran that like kind of zone <laughs> replay where he's on the edge and he was just dancing with him. And it took Scarlett, <laughs> you know, a couple seconds to finally lasso him. And yeah, like, Minshew's pretty good in, that, in those situations, too. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That was so funny. He broke his ankles. <laughs> uh, so J.J. Watt hasn't been J.J. Watt yet this year. This game, he had two tackles, a pass defense and a fumble recovery. Uh, Carlos, did you like what you saw from Watt today? You know, I think uh, I think with JJ, it's not consistent enough for me. I saw the past, uh, I saw the SWAT, and it's been forever since I can remember seeing him SWAT like that, and it was fun. It was nice, and you know, I really hate to be a negative Nancy, but it just seems like the fumble recovery. You know, that's one thing. Fumble recoveries usually, to me, don't really stand out too much unless they're the person who forced it. Um, you know, fumble recovery has just fallen on it. Uh, but, you know, two tackles, I think that's fine. It's just, it, it, I keep seeing him get beat on, on run plays. And that's the biggest problem. Him and Merck just both keep on getting whipped, um, you know, occasionally. And we, we did see JJ get held uh, a decent amount this game, too. And, you know, uh, seeing him throw up his arms and, you know, all huge and wide. All year sit- he's been doing that. All year. Yeah. Trying, trying to signal to everybody, like, look at me, look at me, I'm being held. And it's like, that's expect, like, that happens to every, every, every player that commands attention on a defense. Like, you're always going to get, you know, that little bit extra. And the refs usually turn a blind eye. Like, you can't bank on that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, 
I think it's it's flashy, like the the things that he did, some of the things he did today. But I mean, for the most part, I still don't think that he's fully there yet. Um, I just think maybe I I really won't I won't say that he's a bullpen guy yet. But um, there are some times where it just seems like, man, he is not um, completely himself. Yeah, and he, I mean, like, he just hasn't, I, I think the biggest problem with him is he doesn't have that same speed around the edge that he had last year. So, like, last year he won with a lot of rips, a lot of ghost rips, and then that would set up, like, his interior swim move that he ran a lot. Um, and it worked out well, and they used him a lot more stunts, too, last year. And this year, like, his, his speed rushes just aren't working at all. He's consistently mad at the point of attack, and this was against Juwan Taylor today. It was against Schwartz, It was, and he's rushing against right tackles. And even, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but I think his name is, Oko Rofor with Pittsburgh. He's a, a you know like a back yeah a Okorafor. He's a backup right tackle and he had a really good game against Watt too. And uh, and like this year he's been trying to do like a lot more long arms and bull rushes and he's been relying on that inside swim move is trying to be like the core of his pass rush and it hasn't worked at all uh, yet this year. I think this game like he was up against Taylor. His bull rushes didn't work very like they they drew the pocket enough but they didn't create any meaningful pressure. Uh, but I like that spin move he was using he hasn't really used that spin move yet this year and that spin move was able to draw a holding penalty and the second half they moved him on the interior more and they got him against aj can and andrew norwell and those are better matchup matchups for watt than going against, up against Jawan taylor who's become one of the best young offensive tackles in football and they're in the interior with you know Minshew dropping up dropping back to pass every single play um i think he was a lot better in that spot and, and it's just kind of getting them there on the interior more and trying getting them more the best matchup instead of just being like, yeah, we're going to put you against the right tackle and uh, and you're going to line up there every single play and see what you can do because that hasn't worked so far this year. Yeah, exactly, I think. And and they even did that a little bit in the Kansas City game where they were moving him around the offensive line to see if they could get anything. And then that went away in the past few games where he was just lining up against right tackle all the time. And like you said, it didn't work. So I'm hoping that we're going to see more of that just Putting putting the defensive defensive linemen wherever wherever there's an advantage, using your defensive players wherever you can make it work. Because I mean, it's very obvious that we are limited in talent on the defense. So do everything you can to put your best players or really any players in a position of success. Um, and it it worked more this this year and or this game, I mean. And hopefully, using that spin move, if he can't get to the quarterback, like you say, it will draw more holding penalties because it's more obvious like that. Mm-hmm. So. Or maybe they can even use him. Maybe he'll be. Maybe they can use him on the interior for uh, rushing plays. Maybe he'll be a better tackler than uh, Brandon Dunn, or at least make at least make the rushing defense a little bit better. I don't know. Yeah. Put him wherever. Yeah, and and that game against against Kansas City, he lined that zero technique as a way to kind of like stop the run um, against him. Like it worked. Like he had some good swim moves and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, like most of, most of the time, it's just been those rushing to right tackle. But this game, they did have five quarterback hits and three sacks. Um, Carlos, do you think they actually had a good pass rush this game, or is this just kind of the result of if you throw the ball, you know, forty nine times, forty one times? What was it? It was a lot of times. Um, it was it just the result of yeah? Was it just the result of throwing the ball forty nine times, or do you think the pass rush was legitimately good? So I think there's a stat somewhere out there, like a saying where, you know, you're more prone to accidents if you're out on the road uh, more often than the average. Like the more you are out on the road, the more prone you are to an accident. I think that's kind of what's happening here with all the passes thrown today is that it leaves you open for opportunities and the defense knows to pin their ears back and, you know, go after the pass. 
And we saw Minshew escape from some things. He's he's got great um, pocket presence to be able to shake around and you know get out of trouble. I mean. And most quarterbacks these days are. It's becoming more and more common. But um, Minshew, I think, in his dancing around, opened up a few sacks, like for for Merck. Um, I really hate to keep pooing on him because, you know, uh, he, he's a he's a he's a great player. He used to be a great player on the defense, and he's getting paid so much, and he's supposed to be a cornerstone. But I just feel like you know a lot of the sacks that he gets nowadays are as a result of the quarterback shifting around and his lineman not being able to compensate and it opens things up for him. I think, uh, I think probably the person that impressed me the most on the pass rush uh, continues to be Jacob Martin um, just with his speed and his ability to get to the quarterback. And it, it the stats aren't really all there for him, but um, it, you know, he, he is getting there and he's getting better. Um, but I think overall, I think uh, the pass rush was, whatever today i think this is more on the secondary holding up for the most part except for a few key busts but mm-hmm. uh, the pass rush is fine i won't say it's anything that special yeah yeah i, I think i think a lot of these sacks too is kind of like Minshew kind of maneuvering himself into them you know where he's going to step up but if you step up you have to be prepared to throw the ball right away and he's stepping up and holding it and uh, and like he's a little drunk back there you know he's a little he's a little stoned sometimes in the pocket and has some trouble kind of like maneuvering around there and walks himself into some stuff. Um, you mentioned Jacob Martin and Smooth Grandma asked, he nearly knocked the soul on Minshew's mustache. Is he the best pass rusher through the first four weeks? And, you know, I think Martin's, one of the things that I admire about Martin is how hard he plays every snap. Like you, there's been some like effort questions on this defense at times, but Martin never, never like, ha- there's no question all about his effort. And like his speed just allows him to run into plays enough times. But I don't think like, as far as like a pure one versus one pass rusher, he's been, you know, like really good or good or anything. I think he needs more chances as well to do that. But like he just doesn't have an answer whenever tackles gets their hands on him. And so you see these like big flash plays, you know, here and there. I think overall throughout this year, like you know, tackles just understand his one move. And if they can, you know, turn over to him and get their hands on him, he doesn't really have anything else to do from there. But like whenever it all clicks together, like it really does. And, uh, and like he ran himself into that sack today by, you know, rushing wide, stopping, following Minshew and chasing back behind and, and sack and sacking from behind to force that fumble. But I do think overall, like he puts it together sometimes. I think he needs a lot more reps as a pass rusher. He's dropping back in coverage way too much. And, uh, and like there, there still is a lot of potential there, but I do think this year for now, like there hasn't still been like, um, I think the, the thought of him is inflated based on his performance so far this year. But I still have hope for him to become like an above average pass rusher. Um, if not this year, maybe sometime next year as well, too. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I continue to be excited and I continue to overreact anytime Jacob Martin makes a play because he's just like anytime like I, I can almost feel it. Like when he's about to make a big player, he's about to force a fumble. It just feels like he just takes over the screen. Um, but it's just it's it's so exciting to see that maybe this player that was drowned out in the Clowney trade because of how much of a nightmare trade that is, might actually turn into a legitimate starter or even a decent, you know, contributor after all. You know, after all the headache and he's a six-round pick and he's only 24 and we didn't even draft him, he actually mm-hmm. might end up being all right. And and if he turns out to be a decent player, that's one less linebacker, one less pass rusher that we have to worry about drafting in the future. Yeah, and this is year three for him. So next year is the last year of his rookie contract. 
And mm-hmm. uh, so he has, you know, he has, I guess, 20 games or so left to to put it together a little bit more and, and try to see what's going to happen with him um, eventually. But yeah, like, he's fun. Like, I, I enjoy watching him play. He had a really great rip against Minnesota, against, I think, Irv Smith on like a play action pass. And it was beautiful. Like, it was an absolutely you know, beautiful rip move. But Kirk Cousins walked up the pocket because he was too deep and was able to throw it. Uh, but it's still really beautiful. Like you get some, like it all clicks together here and there. And it's kind of like a lightning bolt for him sometimes. Uh, the next question from Smooth Grandma was, can we get a short game recap of radio favorite PJ Big Play Hall? So he replaced Martavis <laughs> Mingo as being the big play guy we got. And uh, he had that like one almost sack. He had like a good tackle for a loss. I think I think the better thing to call him is big almost play PJ Hall. Because he's like Jadavion Clowney like we talked about last week where it's like a lot of really closes and like he flashes on the screen, kind of like Martin does. Like you just see him in the backfield out of nowhere, and then you watch the film, and it's like, yeah, for every like play like that, there's five plays where you know he's getting driven three yards backwards on a combo block, or he's doing this or that. I think he plays way too high um, because he's constantly trying to like go through blockers and not using his techniques and fundamentals. He's not the athlete that somebody is who like Ed Oliver is, for example, where he can kind of like act as like the blockers or a hologram and just use his size to overwhelm and play the ball and kind of act like they're invisible there in front of him. Hall isn't that guy. And he's been, he's been beat a lot this year, uh, mainly because of his pad level. But I don't know. I like big, I like big play. I like almost big play PJ Hall. And you know, it's, he's a completely fine, like August pickup. Um, but whenever you watch the film, like it doesn't really meet what you see on the TV in those big flashes, you know, he's exciting to watch. He's, he's the Majin Buu clowny. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's always what you said. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping I'm. I wanted to post it today, but I didn't get a chance to because he didn't have like that that kind of play you're looking for. Yeah, Yeah. big play potential, PJ Hall. Uh huh. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully Houston can sign Clowney next year as well too, and keep PJ, and so they can have them on the same team together, just doing the exact same thing (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) So the last listener question we had tonight was from fan I know. And Carlos, he asked, is Doug Marone a better coach than Bill O'Brien? I think, um, so I just, after Joe mentioned the uh, the Dan Quinn firing, I basically put out that, uh, I tweeted out that Dan Quinn, with him being fired, now there's another candidate in the enemy sweepstakes, and, you know, um, somebody oh, yeah. said... Oh, no. Yeah, somebody said, um, you know, oh, well, he's terrible, too. And I said, well, him, Bob, and uh, Marone are kind of three of a kind. I think that Marone is almost equally um, as competent as as Bill O'Brien, if not maybe a little bit more, just because he doesn't screw up as blatantly or as, you know, majorly as he has as GM. Um, But I, I, I really don't believe in Marone all that much. I think I think there's probably a good chance at some point we may see Jay Gruden uh, move up into a head coach role um, in Jacksonville. I mean, I know that uh, it hasn't been too long, but I just don't see Marone working out. And I think after today's game, you know, they probably shared some conversations over text saying like, oh man, we're both like, we're screwed. screwed. The game's left us behind. Yeah, they've spent way too much time around each other. And Marone's like the defensive version of Bill O'Brien. And like I, I'll never forgive Marone for that AFC Championship game against New England, where they have the lead and they're like, "Oh, we're up by ten. We're gonna completely send the ball because we have this great pass defense because we're afraid Blake Bortles is gonna bortle it." And they didn't let Blake have a chance to even win that game. They really neutered him. 
and they ended up losing because of that and blew their second half lead as a result. But yeah, like I think I think Marone's bad. I think he's kind of like O'Brien, where like he's competent in a sense, and he gets like a bare minimum. Like he had that good, he had that one year in Buffalo as well too, where he thought he could leverage that into a bigger job, and then nobody wanted him, and he kind of like told around for two years before Jacksonville hired him. But I couldn't see him. I don't. Whenever we did the uh, preseason podcast for the Jaguars. Uh, I thought Ryan Day said that he didn't think Moreau was going to be fired after this year, but I could kind of see it. And they just, I don't know. There's just something off about him. Like those fourth down decisions were awful today. And the fourth down halfback pass was stupid. And there, I, I just, I just don't like it. I've never really have, have been, been a big Marone fan. And maybe it's because him and Bill O'Brien were you know, best friends at Georgia Tech 17 years ago. No. Yeah. I mean, the only thing good about, this Jacksonville team and the really the only thing good about last year's Jacksonville team was the offense and the and the upside of the young players in the offense so like Marone is just week after week there's there's less and less reasons to bring him back and there's more and more reasons to to send Jay Gruden to the head coaching seat because Jay Gruden has plenty of experience as a head coach and like I said he's had plenty of success as a play caller and like <laughs> manufacturing a top 10 quarterback, regardless of what he has. Uh, and like, it's like when, when they got, when Jay Gruden got hired, I just thought it's only a matter of time before they fire Doug Marone and they, and they launched Jay Gruden into the head coaching spot because they want to turn Minshew into something special. Mm-hmm. I, I like this. I don't necessarily see Jay Gruden being the head coach there, but I like keeping that in the universe just as a way to try to limit, you know, Jacksonville having being another another team that could try to go after uh, one of these really great head coaching candidates next next winter, you know. Let's keep throwing that in the universe that uh, well maybe Raheem Morris can be the head coach in Atlanta actually because you know they had a good defense for four weeks last year. Let's keep saying <laughs> things like that to try to uh, work the universe into limiting you know the ability for teams to actually go out of their their bubble and try to find a head coach <laughs> like that though. Just keep screaming out of the football gods until they listen. Yeah, we need close. We need close more of those mouths, you know, more of those mouths need to be closed. <laughs> but it is gonna be exciting though in February whenever they actually get a head coach because there are a lot of really great candidates. And you know, even if the enemy doesn't work out, you know, there's five or six other guys who, um, who could step in and like, really like if if whoever can create a good offense for Deshaun Watson, they can turn this team around in a year. But they're gonna have to do that, and they're gonna have to hit on like every free agent that they get next year. And yeah. uh, and then even then it's going to be a dogfight next year because of all the mistakes that Bill O'Brien made and how much he hurt this team as a general manager in uh, two seasons as well. So my, my last question for you tonight, Carlos, is the Texans are 1-4 and four now. Um, you know, teams that start 0-4, only one of them ever made the playoffs. I think that was like the Chargers in the 1980s. Um, I don't know exactly, but I, I think I saw something like that. And... It doesn't seem like the playoffs are a possibility at all. Like this year is just gonna be a fun year from now on, and we're gonna get to you know watch our team and have a good time, enjoy having our football team again. But at one and four, and like seeing how they play today, seeing how Watson looked, um, and winning like a, a two score like a two plus score game against Jacksonville, do you have any hope or any thoughts that Houston could actually make the playoffs uh, this year? You know, I've thought about it. I have really, really, genuinely given it some thought that you know with the cloud that was hanging over us the first four seasons, I mean, first four games of this season, uh, um, removing it, you know, maybe provides a spark for this team. But I really think that the team is just not completely built well enough to uh, 
make a solid run because I look at the schedule and I still see um, I still see the Packers. I still see two matchups against the Titans. Um, you know, the Colts are are doing whatever. Um, and I still see the Bears uh, on the docket. And for some reason, the Bears seem like they've gotten their stuff together behind Foles and um, between a combo of him and Trubisky, whoever we end up seeing uh, that week. But I really think today was just nice. It was nice to sit down and enjoy because the level of competition, it was meant to be like, okay, well, you know, it's two not so great teams. Let's see. Let's see what happens here. And it was fun. It was great. But I don't think it's anything to set a bar to make the playoffs this year because I still think that there's a long way to go, not just in terms of play calling, in terms of the scheme of the offense. Um, I think it's really a personnel thing at this point where mm-hmm. we've been depleted on both sides. And it's going to be, I mean, even if we maximize their talents, it's still not enough to say that we can go in and beat anybody on, in any given week. We don't have that kind of consistent talent across the board. Um, and so, you know, as much as I really hate to say it, we're we're going to have to enjoy the wins as they come. Like Seth Payne said it on Twitter best. We're not the best team, so you enjoy the wins when they do come. And, you know, I think we need to keep that in mind because playoffs is, uh, you know, we're talking about playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and it's funny, too. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a talent issue, this team. And like even going into this year, like it was giving me a dogfight to make the playoffs, you know, like I picked them to be nine, seven as the number seven seed, just because of how good Deshaun Watson is. And you know, Deshaun wasn't Deshaun the first four weeks of the season. And this is the best game he's had so far this year. And you know, actually kind of look like that version that we saw um, last year as well, too. But yeah, like it, the talent isn't here, you know, and every single week is going to be, is going to be tough. They're not really going to have the talent battle one against Tennessee or Green Bay these next two weeks either. And right now, Pittsburgh's 4-0, Baltimore's 4-1, Cleveland's 4-1, Tennessee's 3-0, Indy's 3-2, Buffalo's 4-0, New England's 2-2, Miami's 2-3, and um, and then Las Vegas is 3-2, and and Kansas City's 4-1. And, and so, like, they're, you know, they're behind, you know, Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Baltimore and Vegas, and I would assume that the Patriots will have a better record than them as well, too, before this thing's over with as well. And then they're behind the Colts as well, too. And the tight end. So it doesn't really seem like, you know, there, there's not like a bunch of like two and two teams right now or one and three teams. Um, it's not that dramatic of a flip at all. And so because of that, I don't, I don't have any hope or expectations for the playoffs. I guess it's not an impossibility, but I do think like this isn't a good football team. They have a really great quarterback, but the football team isn't good. And it's going to take more than a, a head coaching flip for them to be able to you know, be a good team, you know, next year. And they're going to have to have some, have a good, really great offensive coordinator so I can build an offense from Watts, and they're going to have to hit on a lot of these like really kind of sneakier free agency decisions because the cap's basically going to be limited next season too. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts on this idea of playoffs this season for the Houston Texans? Well, I'll tell you that I think it's extremely unlikely, and I agree with you guys that um, this is pretty much just a lost season. We might as well just have fun with every game. And I still want the coaches just to throw, like how we were mentioning uh, Kahali Waring. I think he should uh or Cahale, I forget how his name is pronounced. Um but I think we should just throw in all of these backups to see what they have and throw all these rookies just to see what they have because the season's probably lost. But I'm looking at the schedule right now and I'll give you my outlook. Right now 
we can probably beat Jacksonville again after our bye week in week eight. So in week nine, we can probably beat Jacksonville again. We can probably beat Detroit. We can probably beat Indianapolis, maybe beat Indianapolis, one of the two meetings, if we're lucky. can probably beat Cincinnati. And in the week 17, the last game, I'm hoping that we can beat Tennessee because they'll be resting their starters. That puts us as five more wins at a total of six and ten. Um, that is, we'll need to at least win two, probably three more games to even have a shot at getting the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple games that we have to, we have to win a game that we are not expected to win at all. And I think this Tennessee game next week is going to be one of them. I think if we want a chance at all at even having a shot in the playoffs, this next week game, the Tennessee Titans, it, it has to be a win. It absolutely has to be a win. Uh, Cleveland would be another one that's in week 10. That would have to be either Cleveland or New England. Either of those teams are definitely better than we are, but I would just hope that Deshaun Watson would wake up feeling dangerous or something and just like light up one of those teams. Yeah. Um, because we would absolutely have to win one of those games against them. And it, we would either have to sweep the Colts, which is almost definitely not happening, or beat the Bears, which I think this team can beat the Bears um, because Nick Foles is still a street quarterback. And I'm hoping that we face him and he throws three interceptions and has like 20 yards passing. Um, so we would need him to have a game like that in order to beat them. But it's it's possible if we go against the grain and we surprise everyone three weeks or four weeks out of these 17 weeks. We can finish eight and eight or nine and seven, uh, but chances are it's going to be a five and eleven, six and ten season. So we're not, we're not. It's not impossible, but it would, it, it would be really surprising if we showed up to New England and we beat them. Yeah, I mean it's like a point zero 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 one percent chance of that yeah. occurring. Yeah. But like again, it really doesn't matter. Like the only thing that matters is that we all have our favorite football team back, and Bill Bryan's gone. And uh, everything is lovely and, and beautiful and perfect. And for at least for now, and we can worry all about that future stuff kind of later on, like Jack Easterby and head coaches and, you know, what to do about David Johnson's contract or can they get anything for Brandon Cooks? And, you know, the trade deadline is coming up, but the Texans don't have a general manager. And so it doesn't really seem like they should even be in a sell mode because you don't want Jack Easterby trying to make any trades at all himself. No. He may actually, you know, cut his whole cut the, cut his whole face off trying to, you know, shave his mustache. So who knows uh, how much worse he could actually make this team too. But anyways, that's our show for tonight. Thank you again for listening to battle red radio. We'll be back on later this week for a preview probably on Thursday. It'll be there Friday morning on your phone and everything else. But until next time I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for being on tonight, Joe. And thank you for being on tonight, Carlos. We'll see you. No problem. <laughs>